Chapter twenty seven of Sir Nigel. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Clive Catterall. Sir Nigel by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. Chapter twenty seven. How the third messenger came to Cosford. Two months have passed and the long slopes of Hindhead are russet with the faded ferns and the fuzzy brown pelt which wraps the chilling earth. With whoop and scream the wild November wind sweeps over the great rolling downs, tossing the branches of the Cosford beeches and rattling at the rude latticed windows. The stout old knight of Duplin, grown even a little stouter, with whiter beard to fringe an ever redder face, sits as of yore at the head of his own board. A well-heaped platter, flanked by a foaming tankard, stands before him. At his right sits the Lady Mary, her dark, plain, queenly face, marked deep with those years of weary waiting, but bearing the gentle grace and dignity which only sorrow and restraint can give. On his left is Matthew, the old priest. Long ago the golden-haired beauty had passed from Cosford to Fernhurst, where the young and beautiful Lady Edith Brockas is the belle of all Sussex a sunbeam of smiles and merriment, save perhaps when her thoughts, for an instant, fly back to that dread night when she was plucked from under the very talons of the foul hawk of Shalford. The old knight looked up as a fresh gust of wind with a dash of rain beat against the window behind him. "'By St. Hubert, it is a wild night,' said he. "'I had hoped to-morrow to have a flight at a heron of the pool or a mallard at the brook. How fares it with little Catherine the peregrine, Mary?' I have joined the wing, father, and I have imped the feathers, but I fear it will be Christmas ere she can fly again. This is a hard saying, said Sir John, for indeed I have seen no bolder or better bird. Uh, her wing was broken by a heron's beak last Sabbath sennight, holy father, and Mary has the mending of it. I trust, my son, that you have heard mass ere you turned to worldly pleasure upon God's holy day, father Matthew answered. Tut, tut, said the old knight, laughing. Shall I make confession at the head of my own table? I can worship the good God amongst his own works, the woods and the fields, better than in yon pile of stone and wood. But I call to mind a charm for a wounded hawk, which was taught me by the fowler of Gaston de Foix. How did it run? Uh, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered. Yes, those are the words to be said three times as he walked round the perch where the bird is mewed. The old priest shook his head. "'Nay, these charms are the tricks of the devil,' said he. "'Holy Church leads them no countenance, for they are neither good nor fair. "'But how is it now with your tapestry, Lady Mary? "'When last I was beneath this roof, you heard half done in five fair colours the story of Theseus and Ariadne. "'It is half done still, Holy Father. "'How is this, my daughter? Have you then so many calls?' "'Nay, Holy Father, her thoughts are otherwhere,' Sir John answered. She will sit an hour at a time, the needle in her hand, and her soul a hundred leagues from Cosford House. Ever since the prince's battle— Good father, I beg you. Nay, Mary, none can hear me save your own confessor, Father Matthew. Ever since the prince's battle, I say, when we heard that young Nigel had won such honour, she is brain-woed, and sits ever—well, even as you see her now. An intent look had come into Mary's eyes. Her gaze was fixed upon the dark, rain-splashed window. It was a face carved from ivory, 
white-lipped and rigid, on which the old priest looked. "'What is it, my daughter? What do you see?' "'I see nothing, father.' "'What is it, then, that disturbs you?' "'I hear, father.' "'What do you hear?' "'There are horsemen on the road.' The old knight laughed. "'So it goes on, father. What day is there that a hundred horsemen do not pass our gate, and yet every clink of hoofs sets her poor heart a-trembling? So strong and steadfast she has ever been, my Mary, and now no sound too slight to shake her to the soul.' "'Nay, daughter, nay, I pray you.' She had half-risen from her chair, her hands clenched, and her dark, startled eyes still fixed upon the window. "'I hear them, father. I hear them amid the wind and the rain.' "'Yes, yes, they are turning. They have turned. By God, they are at our very door.' "'By St. Hubert, the girl is right,' cried old Sir John, beating his fist upon the board. "'Ho, varlets! Out with you to the yard! Set the mulled wine on the blaze once more. There are travellers at the gate, and it is no night to keep a dog waiting at our door. Hurry, Hannikin, hurry! I say, or I will haste you with my cudgel!' Plainly to the ears of all men could be heard the stamping of the horses. Mary had stood up, quivering in every limb. An eager step at the threshold. The door was flung wide, and there, in the opening, stood Nigel, the rain gleaming upon his smiling face, his cheeks flushed with the beating of the wind, his blue eyes shining with tenderness and love. Something held her by the throat. The light of the torches danced up and down, but her strong spirit rose at the thought that others should see that inner holy of holies of her soul. There is a heroism of women to which no valour of man can attain. Her eyes only carried him her message as she held out her hand. "'Welcome, Nigel,' said she. He stooped and kissed it. "'St. Catherine has brought me home,' said he. A merry supper it was at Cosford Manor that night, with Nigel at the head, betwixt the jovial old knight and the Lady Mary, whilst at the farther end Samkin Aylward, wedged between two servant maids, kept his neighbours in alternate laughter and terror as he told his tales of the French wars. Nigel had to turn his doe-skin heels and show his little golden spurs. As he spoke of what was past, Sir John clapped him on the shoulder, while Mary took his strong right hand in hers, and the good old priest, smiling, blessed them both. Nigel had drawn a little golden ring from his pocket, and it twinkled in the torchlight. "'Did you say that you must go on your way to-morrow, father?' he asked the priest. "'Indeed, fair son, the matter presses. But you may bide the morning.' It will suffice if I start at noon. Much may be done in a morning. He looked at Mary, who blushed and smiled. By St. Paul, I have waited long enough. Good, good, chuckled the old knight with wheezy laughter. Even so I wooed your mother, Mary. Wooers were brisk in the olden time. Tomorrow is Tuesday, and Tuesday is ever a lucky day. Alas, that the good dame Ermintrude is no longer with us to see it done. The old hound must run us down, Nigel, and I hear its bay upon my heels, but my heart will rejoice that before the end I may call you son. Give me your hand, Mary, and yours, Nigel. Now, take an old man's blessing. May God keep and guard you both, and give you your desert, for I believe, on my soul, that in all this broad land there dwells no nobler man, nor any woman more fitted to be his mate. There let us leave them, their hearts full of gentle joy the golden future of hope and promise stretching out before their youthful eyes. Alas for those green spring dreaming! How often do they fade and wither until they fall and rot, a dreary sight by the wayside of life! But here, by God's blessing, it was not so. 
for they burgeoned and they grew, ever fairer and more noble, until the whole wide world might marvel at the beauty of it. It has been told elsewhere how, as the years passed, Nigel's name rose higher in honour, but still Mary's would keep pace with it, each helping and sustaining the other upon an ever higher path. In many lands did Nigel carve his fame, and ever as he returned, spent and weary from his work, he drank fresh strength and fire, and craving for honour from her who glorified his home. At Twynham Castle they dwelled for many years, beloved and honoured by all. Then, in the fullness of time, they came back to the Tilford Manor House, and spent their happy, healthy age amid those heather downs where Nigel had passed his first lusty youth, ere ever he turned his face to the walls. Thither also came Aylward, when he had left the Pied Merlin, where for many a year he sold ale to the men of the forest. But the years pass, the old wheel turns, and ever the thread runs out. The wise and the good, the noble and the brave, they come from darkness, and into darkness they go, whence, whither, and why, who may say. Here is the slope of Hindhead. The fern still grows russet in November, the heather still burns red in July. But where now is the manor of Cosford? Where is the old house of Tilford? Where, but for a few scattered grey stones, is the mighty pile of Waverley? And yet even gnawing time has not eaten all things away. Walk with me towards Guildford, reader, upon the busy highway. Here, where the high green mound rises before us, mark yonder roofless shrine, which still stands foursquare to the winds. It is St. Catherine's, where Nigel and Mary plighted their faith. Below lies the winding river, and over yonder you still see the dark chantry woods, which mount up to the bare summit, on which, roofed and whole, stands that chapel of the martyr, where the comrades beat off the archers of the crooked lord of Shalford. Down yonder, on the flanks of the long chalk hills, one traces the road by which they made their journey to the wars. And now turn hither to the north, down this sunken winding path. It is all unchanged since Nigel's day. Here is the church of Compton. Pass under the aged and crumbling arch. Before the steps of that ancient altar, unrecorded and unbrassed, lies the dust of Nigel and of Mary. Near them is that of Maud, their daughter, and of Alan Edrickson, whose spouse she was. Their children and children's children are lying by their side. Here, too, near the old yew in the churchyard, is the little mound which marks where Samkin Aylward went back into that good soil from which he sprang. So lie the dead leaves, but they, and such as they, nourish forever that great old trunk of England, which still sheds forth another crop and another, each as strong and as fair as the last. The body may lie in mouldering chancel or in crumbling vault, but the rumour of noble lives, the record of valour and truth, can never die, but lives on in the soul of the people. Our own work lies ready to our hands, and yet our strength may be the greater and our faith the firmer, if we spare an hour from present toils, to look back upon the women who were gentle and strong, or the men who loved honour more than life, on this green stage of England, where, for a few short years, we play our little part. End of chapter 27 End of Sir Nigel